A young lady comes from the small town of McLeod, Texas, and embarks on a journey that takes her through many places all over the world. With this lady, lessons are not only taught in a classroom, but her life teaches volumes of valuable lessons. Join us as we talk to Sister Riggin about what it is like to serve in the ministry with Bishop Riggin. Face the Truth is the weekly podcast of the Truth Church of Olathe, Kansas. Now here is the guest host for today's podcast. Thank you, Brother Goff, and greetings to all in the name of the Lord Jesus. I am Jared Hilton, and as I begin, I want to say thank you to my pastor, Bishop Riggin, who has asked both Brother Goff and myself to fill this significant void while he continues work on his third volume in the Understanding Apostolic Doctrine book series. If you don't have a copy of either of his first two books, you owe it to yourself to stop by our website at olathetruth.com forward slash resources and pick one up. You may also purchase the bundle, which includes both Understanding the Godhead and Understanding the New Birth, for only $20. And don't forget to come back in July and pick up a copy of his new book, Understanding Separation. I'm sure that you have been enjoying the previous installments of the current podcast series, Passing the Torch, to which I am blessed with the opportunity today to add the current episode that involves a very special person. Previous episodes have focused on other preachers who have served with pastor for a limited period of time. However, there's only one individual who has served by his side for over 40 years. She is truly an embodiment of the scriptural definition of the term minister, which means to serve. She is Bishop's wife, Mother Riggin. She's an example in both word and deed of Christianity, commitment, dedication, discipline, godliness, and so much more. Many of the events that have transpired over the previous 25 years have had her fingerprints all over it, and really her fingers all in it. One of my goals that I have had for this interview with Sister Riggin is to underscore her overwhelming spirit of willingness. A scripture that I believe aptly describes her is found in Proverbs chapter 31, verse 13. She, talking about the virtuous woman, worketh willingly with her hands. With that, I'd like to share with you my conversation with Sister Riggin. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Sister Riggin, I want to start off by saying thank you for agreeing to do this interview with me. You're welcome. I want to get started by asking you a few questions that will allow those listening to get to know you better. What is your background in the Apostolic Pentecostal Church? How were you introduced to Pentecost in the first place? Okay. Well, first of all, my great-grandmother received the Holy Ghost. She was the first one in our family to receive the Holy Ghost. And that was in the early 1900s. And what they called a circuit-riding preacher came through the small community there in McLeod, Texas, and preached truth to that community. And my great-grandmother was one of the ones who accepted the truth. And then my grandmother received the Holy Ghost as a young adult. From there, you know, she raised, she had seven children. One of the younger ones was my dad. And because my grandfather never received the truth he didn't really the children were not made to go to church so when when i was 18 months old my mom and dad received the holy ghost 
and um, of course raised us in the truth all those years. They still go to that McLeod uh, Tabernacle Church in McLeod, Texas. And um, I received the Holy Ghost when I was 11 years old. Uh, Brother Keith Clark was the evangelist. He actually came through in 1970, and that's when all the kids got the Holy Ghost except me. And I did get baptized, but he came back two years later, November the 24th, 1972, was the night I got the Holy Ghost. I made up my mind I was going to get the Holy Ghost the first night, and I did. God was really gracious. I finally surrendered my stubborn heart (laughs) to Jesus. (laughs) That's a beautiful story. And from that point, as a young lady in the Church of McLeod, how soon after you received the Holy Ghost did you realize that you wanted to do more for God? Well, I don't know when it happened, but just as a little girl, you you always dream about what you want to be when you grow up. And so always I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to play in a church. I wanted to play music and help out in the church. And I also wanted to be a preacher's wife. And I don't know if that happened you know, before I got the Holy Ghost or, um, you know, after. Now, as growing up, the ministry was not as glamorous as it might be today. So I really don't know that that desire came from what I saw. I, I feel like it was just a love for God and the way I was raised. Um, you know, it was just a wonderful thing, working for God, living for God. And that's just something I always wanted to do. Yes, ma'am. What steps did you take as a young lady to prepare yourself to get into the ministry? Were there things in the local church that you could do, like teach Sunday school? I did not teach Sunday school. In our, as far as in our youth group, there were times that we would be called on to do um, like small talks, and I would help out in that regard. But preparing myself, our, our pastor always encouraged Bible reading, and from probably junior high, I would read my Bible through every year was involved in the music of the church. I did play the piano, play the organ for the choir. I was involved in the music department, for sure. What is one piece of advice that you would give to your younger self? Well, I think I would just say, you know, live for God with all your heart. Always put Him first. Do your best. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, you can't, re- you can't af- be in control of results. But just live for God with all of your heart. Always give Him your best. Don't be lazy. Always apply yourself. And God works with, with what you give to Him. So when you make yourself available, He'll use you. And that's what I would tell myself. Can you tell me a little bit about what drove your decision to go to Bible college? I know it was more common in those days for young men and women to attend Bible school. What was it that caused you to make that decision? It was kind of a given thing that once you finished high school, you'd go to Bible college. And most of us all went to Bible college for at least one year. And uh, all the people that I grew up with, that's what we did uh, for the most part. Uh, There were some that, you know, just went on in if they were wanting to pursue another education. But it's kind of of what the girls did for sure. Uh, But I went to school, when I went to Bible school, another young man... uh, was went the same year that I went and also our pastor's son had gone the year before me and so it was just it's it's just what we did it was kind of a given and I've told my mom I said I can't believe you took me to Houston Texas and dropped me off with no phone no car she said yeah and if I'd have told you you weren't going you would have got upset at me 
But anyway, it was it was just kind of expected. My cousins, they all went to Bible Bible college, and my dad told me he'd pay for one year if I found a husband in one year. But if I didn't, I'd have to start paying my way after that. So <laughs> I, I had to get busy when I got to college. <laughs> so your dad's plan was to send you off to college for one year get you married, and have your husband pay for the rest of college. Yeah. He actually told me he was breaking my plate after that first year. So I took him serious. <laughs> and I went down there, and I got the best. So Can you tell us the story about how you and Pastor Regan met? Okay. Well, we met at T- Texas Bible College. I was serving in the cafeteria. And he came through the line, and he said, what would it take for a guy like me to get a girl like you to go out with him? And I said, well, you'd have to take me in a limousine and buy me a dozen roses. And he re- he just, I was being goofy, and he kind of embarrassed me. So I thought, well, I'll, that's just what I'll tell him. And so it was several weeks later, he did ask me, and I decided, I told him that, yes, I would go with him to the Christmas banquet. And um, we went on, we actually ended up going on a date earlier than that to a concert and uh, but when he picked me up for the Christmas banquet, he took me in a limousine and had me a dozen roses, and I was smitten from that time on. <laughs> <laughs> he was paying attention. He was. He was paying attention to details. Words mean things. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am. What were the first years like after you and Pastor got married? How did you have to balance that with ministry? Well, the first two years uh, were just spent, you know, there at the college, and uh, he would have classes from like 7 o'clock in the morning to noon, and then he would have just a couple of hours, and then he would go and work uh, from like 2 o'clock to midnight, and then he would come in, you know, so that, so there was a, there was a lot of time there when, you know, those, I guess, I don't remember them being hard, but um, like I said, I was working as well, um, but I know it had to have been rough just getting the, you know, getting homework done and, and, and working that kind of a schedule, but he did that, we did that for two years until he graduated. Okay, so after college, y'all went to help Brother McLean for a couple of years, and then you took your first pastorate in Tatum, Texas. We were talking earlier, and you mentioned that you were 23 when you guys took that first church. What was that like when you stepped into your first pastorate at the age of 23? Well, um, I had two children at that time. Andrea was just six weeks old when we went there, and Erica was about two and a half. Um, the, the church people were amazing. I know a lot of people, you would think about that's really young, but back then and then being in the South, uh, the people respected the role of the minister. They didn't really look at, you know, how old a person was. They just respected the person or respected the position. And I remember one lady saying, I'm old enough to be your grandmother, but she still respected and honored him. And uh, there, there were times of poverty and, you know, long nights and not not having the best of everything but but we loved what we were doing and we were we were just thankful to be working for God was there a particular person that was an example to you you know honestly um 
the only, the person with the most influence is my mother. Uh, she, my mother was just an um, amazing person. She was a servant. She um, she did things for the church. She stayed home uh, while while she was you know raising us four children. And um, but anything that she she would do anything for the church. If she made pies, she'd make three. We would have one, and she'd give two people two away. She's 80 years old today, and she still takes people to their doctor's appointments. She helps clean a lady's house, and she still will pick up groceries for people in need. Um, and so, and and I can remember as a young person, each one, each family had to take a month of cleaning the church, and sometimes you might would need to take two months. But my mom would always choose December because she said that's the hardest month of the year for people to clean and I want to take that month. And so that's just the way she raised us was to serve other people, give to other people. My dad and mom both had an excellent work ethic. They t- I, as a young person, I would mow our elderly neighbors' yards just to, you know, just for free. We just we were always doing things like that because that's just the way that she raised us. And I had my pastor's wife was another great influence she was a very quiet woman, but she was a very supportive, you know, to her husband and to us young people. They were the ones that took us to all the youth meetings. They made sure that we went to every youth rally, any fellowship meeting that came up. They were our transportation. And they were just the people that influenced me probably the most. And in my adult year, probably, I would have to say, probably Sister Johnson would be the one that probably has had the most effect on on my life and sister Howard probably but God has been you know really good to put put people in our lives but honestly as a young person a young married you know a young 23 year old pastor's wife I didn't really have someone that I could that I could just singly say you know help helped me Today at the Truth Church, along with many other responsibilities that you maintain, you oversee the education department and demonstrate a tremendous passion for it. Is that something that has always been of particular interest to you? Well, I uh, one of the things that I wanted to be was a teacher, and I've always loved learning. I've always, you know, they talk about different learning styles. Evidently, my learning style is the lecture style. And so I've always loved preaching. I've loved the teaching format. I've lo- I love reading. And I had great teachers in my school. And I really love teaching children because children don't come to you with so many already, their minds made up. They come to you ready to learn. And you can just make, make such an impact on children. And then it's it's forever. And so that's just, I've just always really loved teaching children. And I was thinking about this interview. I've helped start five different Christian schools. And I don't really know the years, but it, probably at least 20, maybe 20 to 25 years that I've spent in Christian education. And it was a, it was a priority to my husband that our children be in a Christian school, and so a lot of that fell upon me, 
but I I did it and I did it for my children I did it for my husband and I believe you know it was rewarding you know but I've always I've always loved teaching and teaching children especially well that's a great segue to these next couple of questions do you have a regular routine for when you are preparing to teach a lesson well are you what I like to do if I'm if I'm when I'm teaching, I want to have an object lesson, and I want to make sure that I can apply the lesson. So those are those are things that I try to do. And I, I mean, honestly, I, I will search the internet, and I, I mean, I have a file of my own that I can go to. But a lot of it is just going to the internet and just looking it up, and then obviously making sure it's you know doctrinally sound. But um, but I would say um, that I always want an object lesson that they can connect to, maybe just a um, something from home, that every time they see that, they'll think back to that lesson. It might be an object, um, but I try to make that kind of connection. And I want them to always be able to apply the lesson um, to, the, to their lives so that when I do a lesson, that's, you know, when I'm trying to construct a lesson, that's what I do. There is a particular lesson that you're notorious for. The lesson is a powerful one, not only for the points that you make with the lesson, but also because of the illustration and its powerful effect on the students. Could you describe the object lesson that involves the brownies? Okay, sure. Um, Well, we were, my husband wanted me to teach this lesson and it was about how you know, a lot of kids and the, and the teenagers, they'll say, well, there's just, you know, if there's just, it's just, just a little bit bad. There's just a little bit bad in this. So why, why do I have to give up the whole CD or, or why do we have to throw away the book just because it's got one, you know, is a little bit, if something that's just a little bit bad, is it really all that bad? And so what I did is I found an object lesson of where you take, I took a pan of brownies and I made these brownies, but in the corner, I put some dog poo in the brownies. Of course, I covered it up, and I made sure that nobody would eat any. I put on it big signs, do not eat. But anyway, so when I got to chapel, I taught the lesson about, and I asked the kids, I said, everything in this, everything in this pan of brownies, is all the, all the ingredients are right. I followed the right temperature. I have the brownie mix, I have the oil, I have the eggs, I cooked it at the right temperature. These brownies are good brownies, but there is just this little bit of dog poo. Now, who wants the brownies? Well, nobody wanted the brownies. And I said, well, but all we gotta do is just cut this little section out and then everything else is good. Of course, nobody wanted the brownies. And so it was just an illustration and I don't think hardly anybody can forget that object lesson because it is so true. Um, We wouldn't touch it, but sometimes we don't really think about what we let our eyes, you know, look at or what we listen to. Well, you know, I can just forget it or, you know, it wasn't that bad. But a little bit bad is still bad. It affects us. So that that was a good lesson. Well, the true church is blessed to have you as our first lady. We know that we are a long way from McLeod, Texas, but we also know that you've been much further doing work for the kingdom of God. 
Many of the men who have gone to Africa with Pastor have remarked on how diligent you are in seeing to the general comfort of all of those who are traveling. I've seen for myself firsthand how you've worked around the clock to make things better and improve conditions at the mission in Zimbabwe. The times that I was there, you always seemed to be the first one up in the morning getting breakfast ready or cleaning the house. You worked to prepare snacks for breaks throughout the day and meals for lunch and dinner. Most of the time, it is well into the evening before I ever catch you sitting down. I would like to hear from you in your words how you perceive your role to be in the work in Africa. Well, going to, I never, you know, when I, when I wanted to be a minister's wife, I never knew, you know, where all we would go and the things that we would do. But uh, one of those things has been going to Africa. And um, it, it's not easy, but at the same time, I mean, it's not like it used to be. And you know, I think about Sister Freeman when she used to have to ride <laughs> those ships and the stories that she's told about and her children getting sick on the boat and her thinking she was going to have to bury her child at sea. So a 16-hour plane ride really isn't all that bad. But uh, we definitely, over there, you don't have the conveniences um, that we have in America. But uh, in the past, uh, when we had our property there and we would bring the guys in to our property, we bring bring about 25 guys in. And so my responsibility there would be to provide them uh, or prepare them three meals a day. And so that's what we would do is we would cook for them and made sure that they had their meals. And uh, we would just try to be as resourceful as we could. And then also try to give them something that that they would like. So, you know, for us, you know, like a bowl of oatmeal, but that weren't they weren't used to oatmeal. So we had to you know, come up with things that they would like, and they didn't really care for sandwiches, so we had to kind of revise and and do things that, that they liked. And so that was kind of the challenge, um, you know, to, to make sure they were satisfied because if you're not satisfied, you know, you can get kind of hung up on that and then not hear what the preacher's saying. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, you always want them to kind of take care of that that so that when it came time to listening they weren't being distracted about oh man we gotta have a sandwich when this is all over and I don't even like sandwiches so anyway um but um my role there was just to you know take care of the ministers that would come and um thankfully just just through the years, different people made things easier. They would buy different things for the property that that made it easy. Like I think Brother um, Brother Lackey's church provided us with a deep fryer, and that really helped. And so, um, but it was just just fi- just taking. I would take the things that I could, like barbecue sauce, things that would make it a little bit more like home because we could get the hamburger meat. Uh, but that was kind of you know, the role, but there's, there's nothing that can compare to watching a whole congregation of people receive the oneness of God. I mean, it's just, I can't, can't even describe it. You really would have to be there to see it and experience it. And it's a beautiful thing to watch 
revelation sweep a whole congregation. You cannot explain it. And it, it is is something that only God can do. And that would that's worth any kind of sacrifice. I, I you know, I would do it all over again. I I do it multiple times <laughs> to see it happen all over again. It's beautiful. Well, in conclusion, Sister Regan, I would like to ask you if there's anything else that you would like to share with the Truth Church and the listeners of the Face the Truth podcast. One thing is that, you know, we've, we have been through a lot of things. Um, a lot of, I know I said something about the ministry wasn't glamorous. You know, 50 years ago, I don't think that it was, the that that wasn't what made me want to be a minister. But I can just say that throughout, um, our time of being a minister, I've had to pray for shoes to wear. I can remember going to the Goodwill and saying, Lord, please let there be a pair of shoes here that I can wear. And I, God would always supply. And there was a time at our first church, we really didn't have much. And my mom had gone to a garage sale and bought me some dresses. And one of the saints asked me, said, well, how, how can you afford a new dress? I said, well, my mom went to a garage sale and bought me a bunch of clothes. And, you know, they just, you know, they just didn't understand. And I think a lot of times people, people look at maybe even where we are today. You know, they don't understand where we came from. I, I know what it's like to not have groceries and seeing God supply needs. There's been many times I've had to pray for broken down washing machines but all of those things have built our faith. And I've been able to say, well, Lord, I know you, you did that. You gave me a pair of shoes. If you care about a pair of shoes, I know you care about these bigger situations. And if you can supply that need, and that need is so little, and that was just for me. But when it comes to your kingdom and the church of God, I know that you care about your church. And you're going to see, you're going to supply those needs. So all those things were rough at the time, um, but I think I, I wouldn't go back. I wouldn't want it to be any other way because it did build our faith and it gave us that foundation of knowing that God would see us through anything that we, we went through. And he has been faithful through all the mistakes that we probably made and things that we probably did wrong. Um, but it's rewarding. Like Brother Larry Claiborne, when he came up, just this a couple of weeks ago for our 25th anniversary here at this church, he was one of the first saints at one of the first church that we pastored. But to know that he's living for God now, he's in the ministry now, it's just so rewarding. And I can just say that the good times always outweigh the bad. And God is always so faithful, and I'm so thankful to be able to serve him. It's, I wouldn't want to do anything else. I love what I do, and I wouldn't want to do anything else. Sister Riggin, one more time I want to say thank you. Thank you for sharing your personal stories. Thank you for being the example that you are. I also want to say a special thank you to those of you who submitted questions. I hope I asked the questions in a way that elicited an answer to your original question. Personally, I have developed a deeper appreciation for the sacrifices that Pastor and Sister Riggin have made and have gained some practical wisdom through what I have heard from Sister Riggin. I'll be praying that the Lord will help me to gain the kind of humble, 
servant-like spirit that is so well exemplified in our pastor's wife. Mother Riggan, the Truth Church loves you, and we thank God for the light that you bring into our lives. Thank you to everyone who has joined us for today's podcast. We want you to know that we are here to help you in any way we can. If there is anything we can do for you, please don't hesitate to contact us. Send your prayer request to prayer at olathetruth.com. That's prayer at olathetruth.com. If you live in the Kansas City metropolitan area, we invite you to join us for our services this week. Sunday morning at 10, Sunday evening at 6, and Tuesday evening at 7.30. For those who cannot attend, we will provide a live stream on our Facebook page, our YouTube page, and our website, olathetruth.com live. Until our next podcast, take care and God bless.